1: Hello and welcome to the Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon.
0: And I'm McKelly.
1: Thank you for joining us for episode 133 of our chapter-by-chapter chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 59 of A Clash of Kings, that is Tyrion 13.
0: And we're going to chat about the chapter, and we're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way.
1: We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll provide some additional information about the characters and geography of this chapter. How are you, McKelly?
0: I'm doing just fine. How about
1: you? I'm okay. I'm not too bad.
0: All right, all right. I had a
1: big presentation at work uh, yesterday. Yes. That I think you were in the crowd for I was, I
0: yes. You did a good
1: job was stressful yeah (laughs) a lot of information to impart it really was you know i don't mind i don't mind public speaking i'm okay with that yes but when it's kind of like technical stuff and it's you got to get it just so i I, i'm better off the cuff like this where if i say something really stupid i can just get hauled up on discord after the fact (laughs) or
0: we could take it out and the the uh, listeners will Never know if,
1: if you spot it, but I mean you're only a couple of rungs above me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so I do have an exciting piece of news. For oh me. yes, you do tell. This? No, it's not that exciting. Um, tomorrow I'm going to see a band. This will be the first band I've seen in two years. Which I thought about it. I was like, wow, I haven't seen a band in two years. And then I was like, I think before that last band that I saw it had been about four years. <laughs> so <laughs> the pandemic hasn't really changed right. I'm going to bands that much. Do you I'm know- going to see a band. In Chapel Hill, whose name is uh, We Were Promised Jetpacks, which is a great name for a band.
0: It is a good name for a band. Yeah, cool. That's good stuff. Uh, I have a longer streak. I have a longer uh, concert, concertless streak going on here. I have not been to a true concert, like where you go to a concert venue and there's, you know, a band up on stage and, and all that since...
1: 2003 okay so closing in on 20, 20 years. years
0: I went to see Dave Matthews band in 2003 and I'm pretty sure that's the last like true concert I did go see um the uh what's it called trans-siberian Orchestra uh, when they were here but I don't quite think that's that that uh, classifies as a concert so
1: you went to see the trans-siberian Orchestra I I often wondered who went to that kind of concert
0: can I just say I don't want to throw shade. <laughs> so just this is just my and Stacy and pretty much everyone that I went with's opinion. Ah, we we just didn't care for it at all. Huh. So Interesting. But I know people that that love it. So we just thought we just thought it was going to be something other than what it was. So um I was we were all left uh, wanting.
1: It has zero appeal to me, but <laughs> I I am a Cambodian, so
0: I, uh, you know, my music at the the front of my house at Christmas time is, I mean, the lights at the front of my house at Christmas time are set to music, and one you should see Simon's face right
1: now. <laughs> one
0: of the series of music that that it can be set to is Trans Siberian Orchestra. So, um,
1: mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's amazing to me that we really sort of stick together despite our different core values. You
0: know? <laughs> we're like yin and yang. Of,
1: yes. I mean, if I were to do lights that sort of went on and off, I would be there at the switch. I mean, that's, that's, that's the limit. And I'm not doing that. That's way too much work. Or
0: maybe they're just on the fritz. <laughs> they come
1: and yeah. go. <laughs> so, actually, while we're talking about music, I... I um, talked to some people the other day and they'd been to see the eagles the eagles play played recently oh yeah and they were telling me that they got bargain seats in the in the nosebleed section but the down at the front sort of in the standing area in front of the stage it was a thousand dollars a ticket
0: i've i know that the eagles are an expensive show but wow a thousand dollars a ticket that's it's too rich for my blood
1: that makes no sense to me at all. I'm not sure that there's I mean, like,
0: anything I'd pay up oh, the Masters. I'd probably pay a thousand dollars a ticket to go all four days at the Masters.
1: But, well, all four days, there you are. I mean, that's 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 a big event, you know. Right. This is a concert, you know. <laughs> right. you, I don't know about you, but when I go to a concert, I typically am ready for home after about a couple of hours. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's getting late. It's probably a school night. I want to go home. you know, and,
0: and you know what? On the drive home, you could put the band's music. On your, uh, on your radio, and you could just finish out the concert that way.
1: With with all the flaws ironed out. But I mean, look, I love live music. I really do. But I just can't imagine paying that kind of money. Oh, I wow. mean, who has that kind of money? You could go on a vacation for a week on that kind of money.
0: Yeah. Yes, you
1: could. It's It absolutely boggled my mind when I heard that.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's something. I know I have uh, one of my good friends his favorite band is to see in concert anyways, the Eagles. And he has paid upwards of $300 for a ticket, but wow, $1000. I mean, I wouldn't pay $300 wow. for a ticket really to any. There's no, there's no I'm I'm just not that into. I enjoy a live band if I'm somewhere and there's a band playing. But I'm just. And it's
1: 2003. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I go to a bar or a restaurant and they've got live music, I can appreciate that. But I'm not that into live music that I will pay money to
1: go and sit and watch with, for that purpose. Well, I think I think we're painting a picture of ourselves as being sort of like Luddites <laughs> and uh, Philistines <laughs> and cheapskates. Which, it's well, it's, it's true. Cl- fits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> pretty close to the truth, I feel. <laughs> okay, so let's get down to business. How do we leave Tyrion Lannister? Uh, last we saw Tyrion, he was falling out pretty catastrophically with his sister Cersei, who'd captured and was tormenting Yaya in the mistaken belief that she was Tyrion's love. He was promising grim revenge. Uh, why don't we give him the summary of this one?
0: Why don't we? So Tyrion surveys the Jade Holocaust in the Blackwater Rush from atop the walls of King's Landing. He's not convinced it will be enough. Tyrion blames Stannis as much as himself for what's unfolding. He knows that Stannis won't be on the ships. He's more like Tywin leading from the back than he is like his own brother Robert, who would be in the vanguard of every battle.
1: Geoffrey complains about the loss of his own ships, the wildfire being indiscriminate and all. Tyrion says that it could not be helped. They were always going to be lost. At least this way, they take most of Stannis' fleet with them. Tyrion looks for survivors. Around eight ships were on the north bank, disgorging their soldiers already. The first two battle lines were sufficiently far upstream of the main fire that they were unscathed, and the ships on the far side of the lines were unscathed on the the southern bank. Generally, ships on the port side of the formation were able to head for the far shore and avoid the flames. Stanif would probably have 30 to 40 galleys remaining, enough to bring his thousands across the river. He
0: thinks that it might take a while for Stannis and company to regain their courage, but he knows that desertion is a much bigger problem for himself. Lord Jocelyn Bywater warned that his half-trained troops would break badly if the battle seemed to be going against them. He sees men on the near bank and sends a runner to command Bywater to sort out and attack them while they're still reeling from the events in the river. He calls for the three whores to be swung more to the west, Although it's kind of hard to imagine what they're going to target at this point,
1: yes, unless they're throwing sort of like something to put the fire out. Really, there's not much <laughs> point throwing things.
0: We've done enough, dear. Uh, yeah.
1: Joffrey wanted command of uh, the trebuchets, and so complains about Tyrion giving orders. Tyrion clanks the king's visor down. The last thing he, the last thing he needs is Joffrey to catch a stray arrow. And there's the extra benefit of not having to see his punchable face. Indeed, Tyrion figures this is a good time to give Joffrey his fun. He's got the antler men ready to be fired from the trebuchets and gives his nephew permission to do it. So that's why they're reorienting the trebuchets. (laughs) They're going to fire the antler men. (laughs) But he needs to hurry. They'll be needed for actual war again pretty soon.
0: News arrives that Stannis has landed forces south of the city on the torny grounds. They have a battering ram and are attacking the king's gate at the southern point of the diamond. Remember, King's Landing, shaped like a diamond on its point. The king's gate is at the southwest corner of it.
1: Um, Just a point of order. Um, A diamond on its point is redundant because a diamond not on its point is a square. True.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, a square on its point then.
1: <laughs> yes, you can say that. That's fine.
0: <laughs> Tyrion races to the scene and finds a lack of order and discipline, while the gate is pummeled by a battering ram. He also finds Sandor Clegane in charge, but the hound is belligerent and has a large gash over one eye, blood running down into his scarred face. Tyrion recognizes fear in the big man's eyes. He's lost half his men and apparently his courage. Tyrion takes command.
1: He gets geared geared up and finds that only half the men have rallied to his side. He chides the other wide-eyed knights and sellsword. If he's a half-man, what does this make them? Slowly the men are shamed into saddling up. And he turns and leads them towards the sally port, hoping that they're following. So... Um, yeah, not an awful lot. I mean, that's. I mean, I. I bet everyone was getting just just settling into our summary of the chapter when it came to an end there, because uh, <laughs> it was not, a short not one. Not that much happened, <laughs> right? But.
0: On my uh, e-reader book, it was only seven pages, so
1: right.
0: only sixteen yeah. minutes in my audio
1: book. Oh, I was going to mention the fact that when you said, I, I did notice that you said the hound is belligerent, and I was like. That really did not need saying. (laughs) (laughs) The the hound was still alive, therefore he was believed. So yeah, so so the chapter starts with Tyrion watching the wildfire from the battlements. Um, He is... I mean, obviously, I think he's pleased that the plan worked, but I think he's also a little bit horrified about what happened. He doesn't actually articulate that very much but but one of the things he does is he starts to sort of like spread the blame you know and he sort of blames stannis right as much as himself for what's happened because if stannis had just not don't not come here this wouldn't have had to happen
0: yeah that that part reminded me a little bit of uh of theon in winterfell kind of putting the blame on everyone else for the things that he's done while he's up there why did you make me kill you and uh, you know, he's, yeah. he he thinks to himself while he's watching it, watching everything out on the the um, Blackwater Rush. He thinks this is as much your fault as it is mine, Stannis.
1: But you know, anyway, it's. I mean, there's i there, I'll give Tyrion some some a little bit of a break compared to Theon. It he they have come to him as invaders. Yeah, Theon is an occupying force, and so whatever he does is on him. You know.
0: That's true. That's true, but you know, of course, Stannis believes he is the true heir, and of course, Tyrion knows that Stannis is the true heir. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if he, if Stana, if Tyrion was in Stannis's shoes, he'd probably be doing the same thing. And yes, uh,
1: he might. He might also throw Cersei and Jaime into the it, "you're to blame for this." You
0: know? Right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it uh I don't know. Anyway, you know, Tyrion he's the one that pushed the pyromancers to make so much wildfire and then w- willingly and knowingly unleashed it knowing there's no way of controlling it. So, you know, he he knew he was going to be killing both destroying both his own fleet and, along with Stannis's fleet. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: it's the the horror that uh Tyrion feels here. I think I'm slightly influenced by having watched the TV show. You know, as, I, as you know, I watched the TV show f- right. for, for this. And in the TV show, it's very clear that he's absolutely sickened by what happens when the when the wildfire goes off. Okay, you know, yeah. It's kind of like I, I he clearly regrets having had to do it. You know, sure. And I'm sure
0: to at some level he is, but yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, there's multiple times that he tries to rationalize at least what he's done to his own fleet. There's a line where he says something like, we had no choice. Our fleet was doomed anyway. Doomed
1: anyway. Which, yeah, exactly. You know,
0: one yeah. way to rationalize murdering your own fleet. Um,
1: yeah. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a good point. If the fleet's out there, I mean, the fleet was out there to lure them. It was never expected to win. It was just to lure them. And then, so, absent the wildfire, they would have all been sunk and killed. With well, the wildfire, they were set on fire and sunk and killed.
0: Well, that's true.
1: <laughs> Slightly worse, but at the end of the day, the same outcome, really.
0: Watching his own fleet get destroyed, or at least while we're reading about it, I wondered if Stannis's fleet had sat in the harbor, just waiting, threatening, but not actually attacking, Would more of Joff's fleet have eventually come over to his side? Because much of Stannis' fleet was part of the original royal fleet. They just happened to be at Dragonstone or defected early enough before there was any stop put to it. So So
1: you think that the, the naval men of King's Landing might have been Team Stannis and would have loved the opportunity to switch sides?
0: Well... Stannis was the former master of ship just a year ago, just before all this started, before he left for Dragonstone. So, uh, you know, maybe some of them would have seen the futility in fighting this huge force when they've got 50 ships and think, you know what, I'm going over to that side because they're going to win.
1: I wonder... If Tyrion, being a thinker, had thought this through and had made sure that all these ships were captained by loyalists, you know
0: yeah i I guess if they're still there, they're loyalists to a certain extent, but they also weren't allowing ships to leave, so they were they were kind of stuck being loyalists, whether they wanted to or not
1: right, right right, right but but, but the captains, you could bring the captains from the boats and interview them and say, "Look, you know." your former master of ship is going to come here. We want you to fight him. Are you going to be okay with that? Or are you going to switch sides? You
0: know, Right. Yeah.
1: I, I, Not sure you'll get an honest answer to that question, but
0: they had to have known going in though, being that they were outnumbered so heavily that it was, uh, as Tyrion thinks they were doomed regardless. So if you're doomed yeah. regardless fighting for that side and the guy on the other side was your commander, y- You know, it might be, if they sat there long enough, they might be swayed to uh, switch sides. That's probably not, but it's possible, I think.
1: Especially the way the battle was conducted, because the battle, basically, they were just luring them in. And so the more they lured them in, the more outnumbered and surrounded they were, the more inevitable their defeat was. If they were sort of acting more like a guerrilla force and just sort of like making darts out to sort of harry individual ships and come back in again kind of thing, that would have been slightly different. You might have said, well, you know, we can we can stay afloat for a while. As it was, they invited 200 ships to come flying up the river <laughs> right. and crush them, you know, when they could back up no further, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. And, of course, they got rewarded for their loyalty by being burned to death from their own <laughs> <Right>. side. <laughs> right. So...
1: Had they known that was
0: coming, they probably would have defected.
1: And and, and that's a good point. And and the, although the wildfire was indiscriminate, it doesn't matter which side you defect to; you're still going to get burnt. <laughs> that's true. But but the other thing is, of course, is that they must have known the plan to a certain extent. I mean, because because you would, as a captain, you would question why the heck are we drawing them in? Sure, it's narrow, so they can't have they can't be two hundred wide. Right. But still we have nowhere to go. You know, we're backed up into the river and they're they're like, don't worry. The battle won't last that long.
0: (laughs) We've got a plan. (laughs) Just can't tell you. You might want to
1: rub in the factor 70. (laughs) Oh
0: man. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. Why, what were they, what were they told? What were the captains told that you're going to wait at the mouth? And then when Stannis's fleet come in, you're going to backwater
1: into a certain
0: yeah. location. Yeah.
1: I mean, they probably would know about the chain, so they would know that they could sort of like maybe they were being told that they were going to cut the fleet in half with the chain or something, you know?
0: Right, right, yeah. But yeah, maybe.
1: still, it's like, right. It's still strange. But like, like uh, you,
0: you mentioned here in our notes that hopefully they were minimally staffed to reduce casualties. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes.
1: But there's the balance, you see, because if you say, all right, we want you to go out there and fight 200 ships, but we only want you to take about 20% of the normal number of men that you would need for a naval battle. Right. Uh, <laughs> why is that exactly?
0: <laughs> and based on the fact that they backwatered that they they went in reverse they likely had at least enough men to fight and row
1: because Uh, they had
0: to row back up the stream because Uh, up the river because the uh, current is going in the wrong direction so exactly and uh, I know that they I I looked it up I thought well maybe they were using wind to to go up river but when the white heart pulled alongside Black Betha they both broke their oars when the two ships collided so they were using oars at that point
1: yeah 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 and i think uh, i'm i'm right in thinking that the wind was blowing from the south i believe from the south so yeah. that would be blowing them out of the river that would be going in the direction of the river flow
0: oh uh, yeah i i don't so really know how yeah. uh, ship sailing works
1: Well, (laughs) you know, sometimes when it's windy, if you just stand there and put your arms out, you get blown sort of in one direction. That's the direction the wind's blowing. (laughs) So Tyrion says there wasn't, you know, he's he's, he's explaining to Joffrey why this had to happen. He said there's no other way. If we hadn't come forth to meet them, Stannis would have sensed the trap. Eh. The the, the flip side of that is if you hadn't been out there at all, they might have just sailed their ships up the river because they could.
0: Right. And then you put the. Chain up, and then you start dropping wildfire on them. (laughs) Right.
1: A lot less damaging, yeah, yeah.
0: But, you know, of course, he says Stannis would have sensed the trap, but we know that Stannis had no control because he gave up that control to ride with his army. It's kind of odd that he says Stannis would have sensed the trap because before that, he thinks to himself that he he knows Stannis he can envision Stannis being across the bank on the southern bank on a war horse. So uh, probably some of this is like metaphorically speaking that Stannis's troops would have sensed the Stannis's captains or, uh, you know, the high captain would have sent the trap, sensed the trap.
1: Yeah, I think. But isn't isn't this isn't he just using the word Stannis as a as a synecdoche? Um the sort of representing all of Stannis's yes, army as right. Stannis, you know, yes. Stannis's forces would have you because he know. and also gave me the opportunity to drop the word synecdoche. <laughs> I had to wait for you to explain it <laughs> 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 because
0: he. I think you're right, because he gets a little mixed message going on here. Like I said, he imagines Stannis and the war horse watching the battle. Then he also mentions Stannis rowing the fleet up the river, but not rowing it back out. And here he mentions Stannis would have uh, sensed a trap. So yes, I think he's referring to that force out there outside the walls as Stannis.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: But, you know, it it got me wondering if, in hindsight, if it, whether it was a wise thing to do, Stannis giving Who's up...
1: hindsight? St- Stannis' hindsight? Yes,
0: Stannis' hindsight. Okay. What is it a wise thing to do to give up the, um, the command of the fleet to, obviously knowing that they've been... Uh, so badly defeated, I'm sure in hindsight he'd like to do a lot over again. But
1: yeah. <laughs> but but as he watches as he watches the fury burst into flames and everyone who aboard it die, he's also probably thinking, "I'm kind of glad I'm not <laughs> yes, on board." That's also possible. <laughs> actually, the, I think the fury is the fury on fire. Yes, yes, I it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. But actually, that isn't that a little bit confusing though, because I think at one point. This is almost pedantry, actually, because I think it said the front two lines of the the Fury was in the front line, and it said yeah. that the, Fu- the the front lines weren't as badly damaged because they were right. further upstream. So,
0: yeah, uh, he's he's probably just like comparing it to the other lines, yeah. which other lines were completely obliterated.
1: The front two lines were, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But you know, Stannis, like we've mentioned this, I think last chapter that Stannis is a seasoned naval admiral has won two major battles on the deck of that Fury. But yet yeah. he trusted the command to his brother-in-law, and, you know, I guess maybe he thought that they had the superior numbers, the easy victory.
1: Yeah. He he may, maybe didn't even think there was going to be a fight. Maybe he just thought they were coming in to sort of, like, carry troops, and right. nothing nothing needed to happen, but they got outsmarted.
0: Yeah. He she probably should have known that Emery wasn't as familiar with the bay or the river, unlike him, who... Spent time in King's Landing as Master of Ship. But again, like you just said, if he didn't think there was going to be much pushback, then maybe he thought, even my brother-in-law can't screw this up. And Emery said, hold my beer.
1: (laughs) Davos did know that there were, I mean, at least Rob's Hammer and the Lady Liana were significant warships that should have been there. So they knew there could be some trouble. Right. They turned out they weren't there, so there was less trouble. But
0: I, I did find it a little bit. I, I spent a little time thinking about how Tyrion knew that Stannis was on the south bank with the army and not on the deck of the Fury.
1: Do and, tell.
0: Well, so the 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 reason for the 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 points for him knowing this ahead of time is that what we said in the summary that he thinks Stannis is like his father Tywin and that right, he would fight right. from the rear and not from the front lines. And there is the fury smack dab in the middle of the front line. And so, you know, he might assume from that, that Stannis is not on that ship, but otherwise there's not, a, you wouldn't imagine there's a whole lot of Intel getting across the river. I was just going to say, I went back and, and looked because I remembered. Davis describing Tannis's tent Tannis, Tannis's tent in the previous Davis chapter uh, Davis 2 and so I went and looked it up and his description was that it was a, a a large plain soldier's tent that wouldn't scream this is a royal tent except for that it does have the royal flag sticking up to mark it as a king mm-hmm. so if they if they saw that they might be able to you know piece that together i guess interesting
1: because that's of course that's what i was going to say i was going to say maybe he arrived on the south bank of the river to great fanfare and put up his palatial tent but voila you have proved me wrong already well it does Um,
0: it does have that royal i don't know what makes the any flag a royal flag versus just your regular sigil flag yeah
1: but well Good point. I mean, presumably there's something, like a border or something that proves that it's the the head of the house is flying that flag kind of thing.
0: Yeah, possibly.
1: The The other thing is maybe they did have a little bit of intelligence because they controlled the river until the fleet arrived. Uh, the Lannister forces controlled the river so maybe they sailed up there and said, hey, who's staying in that big tent over there? <laughs> 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 That could hey, be. put down that flaming arrow, and I'll tell you. <laughs> so, um, Tyrion watches um, uh, as he sees casks of pitch burning beneath the walls, and he compares those to a candle in a burning house. So you, you get a sense of the sort of scale, because those right. are big barrels of like very flammable material, but they are they are nothing compared to the the jade holocaust, as he describes it. Right. Um, he, as he looks over the scene he wonders if that's how Egan the Conqueror felt as he beheld Balerion's handiwork in the field of fire.
0: Yeah, and actually a uh, fun fact about the field fun fact about the field of fire how about that alliteration? Well, done. Yeah. It was the only battle where all 3 of the Targaryen dragons were put to use in uh, war fashion. So huh. Balerion, Meraxes and Vagar were all there so it was um quite the Field of Fire. And we know that Tyrion studied the Field of Fire and that he loved dragons as a child. He told us that way back in Tyrion 2 of A Game of Thrones when he was talking to Jon on their trek north from Winterfell to Castle Black. And he mentioned in that chapter that he actually had a relative on the wrong side of the battle, Loren of the Rock, King Loren of the Rock, as it were. So, but he also mentions that uh, speaking of all this fire, uh, there were a dozen great fires burned under the city walls. So, you know, later in the chapter, when we see the Hound so affected, you can understand why. There's there's fires burning everywhere.
1: Just below the walls there is exactly where the Hound has been fighting, right? Yes. He's been fighting to push right. the invaders back into the city. So of, he, he's been right in amongst those flames, yeah.
0: Right. And of course, while he's watching it, uh, another hulk filled with wildfire goes up and he says the flames are
1: 30 to 40 feet in the air of uh... i have to say actually just 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 a point here the the f- battles of pitch that landed just on basically on the narrow strip of land between the walls and the river were terribly aimed. I mean <laughs> <They were. laughs> So I thought that they were being thrown by the trebuchets. I mean they were throwing it miles out into the water. How did those guys end up there? Was there a guy on the wall going, I think I can help you <laughs> and it goes out like four feet and I'm, I'm blows Strong up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the um, hound is like,
0: I'm gonna get that guy! <laughs> quit wasting our wildfire. <laughs> I, I do recall the last chapter, the Fury was firing from their catapult um flaming
1: Oh uh, uh, you're right. Pitch. It was incoming things. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, it,
0: they couldn't get it over the wall, it was smashing against yeah. the wall. So maybe that's where those came from. But I like your idea better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: although I gotta say actually I mean how dangerous is flaming pitch to a city to a walled city it's probably it's not great it certainly could like make people unhappy the hound for instance right but those barrels of pitch on board a ship are very very dangerous I'm not yes. sure it's a great weapon for the ship to be honest
0: <laughs> they probably shouldn't have them there is that what you're saying that's what I'm
1: saying <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they threw them so indiscriminately they were just trying like, to get them off just get
0: them off of here <laughs> I'm not sure. I I really haven't researched it, but this might be the largest uh, single loss of life here in one battle since the dragons died out, since the end of the Dance of the Dragons. I, I don't know the exact casualty count yet, but if you're talking, what, 160 ships plus 50 on the other side, we're over 200 ships. So that's... Now, I know during the dance of the dragons there were some terrible battles where people were just massacred by the dragons and uh, like i told uh, mentioned that story from the god's eye the fish feed where there was a whole bunch of people slaughtered but i don't right. i don't know if that even reaches this level we're we're talking
1: thousands here yeah 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 um but stannis is left with 30 to 40 ships um which you know that's that's a huge loss if he's lost 160 to 170 ships. But uh, you can imagine that these ships might take a couple of hundred men each uh, if you cram them in. So each trip across could bring six to eight thousand troops across the river. So it's not right. still not negligible this force. You could you could still get that army across pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it's not nearly as dire as it looked from the end of the Davis perspective. Yeah. So. Yeah, not for da- Davis. I mean, it looked pretty dire for Davis, but the, yeah. the war, the battle in general doesn't look quite. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, we're talking probably 160 to 170 ships and all their people lost. But right. now that's not. I, I don't know that he's including the Lasseni ships from Salador San's fleet. I went back into the prologue when they described it, and it seems like he has about 25. Ships. Oh, okay. So, okay. so that's, you know, that's if, more than I realized. If, he, if Stannis moves some, some of his troops down to the far east side of the south bank, they could probably ferry them across on the other side of the chain as well.
1: Good point. Good point. The one thing is, of course, is that the river is still on fire, so they can't use the river for quick crossing across the river yet. Until the fires down down die down, and then as Tyrion points out, it's going to take them a while to pluck up their courage to make that crossing because <laughs> yeah. they don't know that all the wildfire has gone in one fell swoop here. But uh...
0: that's true. I wonder though, they—I mean, there's only so far that that those trebuchets can shoot the the uh, wildfire, and they've got a long river with no apparently no bridges anywhere on that river so if, if they yeah. just move the troops you know like hey we're marching west ways and then we're going to cross up there you know you'd be able to get to a point where they can't reach you with it
1: yeah yeah and and certainly the, the river front is long enough that you could sort of spread the boats out so that if wildfire comes again it only destroys one boat you know that would uh, be the trick
0: yeah that's true too yep
1: yeah. Tyrion sees this as just a half victory um it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, they haven't destroyed, they haven't prevented the men from getting across, and so the battle is still coming. Uh, Joffrey's fleet has been completely destroyed, but Stannis can still fight. Uh, yeah.
0: And, and like we were just saying, that's another reason. If they can move to a point that's past the, uh, the past range. the landing, yeah, past the range yeah. of the wildfire, they should be able to move back and forth fairly indiscriminately because there's no one yeah. left, no ships left in Joffrey's fleet to stop them. Yeah. And, uh, and that, of course, the half victory, if it still leaves enough ships for Tyrion to get, I mean, for Stannis to get his men across, this might have all been in vain because there's still yeah. like 16,000 men on the other side of the river and if you haven't prevented them from getting to the north bank then that's quite the great deal like uh davos said last chapter you know we'll get our victory but um what at uh, what a cost what a terrible cost
1: so tywin is uh, tyrion is certainly thinking about you know they, they that holding up in the red keep um in the hope that tywin can come and rescue them might be their only hope if this continues you know if if, if they can't if Stannis girds his loins and gets across the river and really besieges, right. the city will fall, and so then the Red Keep might be their last refuge.
0: That's what he told uh, that's what he thought to himself anyway, when Cersei said, Will the city fall? And he said no, and then he thought in his head, But if we do, we'll hold out in the Red Keep and hopefully father will come save us.
1: Yeah. Um but of course, so Stannis may or may not be aware of the fact that there's possibly uh, help coming for the Lannister cause so that would give him if, if he had any inkling of that he should hurry Right. even though he might be scared to sail across the river having seen what happened to the last bunch of boats he needs to get a move on and get across here try and win this battle before any uh, relief arrives for the Lannister side
0: and that sounds a lot like Stannis' mo so far. And th- wait, no, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> but but then again, you know, now battles join. Maybe he's going to get more decisive. You know, maybe,
0: <laughs> yes, that's possible.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm really not sure of what he's doing with the trebuchets. I mean, it just feels like he's hurling rocks into the green fire. Uh,
0: yeah, and, it, and- we did learn that that we had talked about last chapter that. Um, You know, it's likely they have a range of area of the river where they can, you know, that they can target. And it seems they do have some mobility here. He asks a Sir Arnold to swing them west the trebuchets a bit, so they do have some mobility, but probably not that easy to turn them at at that giant size. And and at some point, you're going to turn them too far, and they're no longer even going to be aiming at the water. So.
1: I could, I'd like to add that it's perfectly on brand for Joffrey to want to stop the war to hurl the naked and with antlers nailed to their heads, antler men out oh into boy. the river.
0: Yeah. And
1: I, I will say Tyrion is probably smart to give that twisted little nutcase his fun <laughs> while there is a lull in the fighting because otherwise he's going to want to go and fight or do something <laughs> malicious.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess if there's ever a time, now would be it. And you yes. know, a couple of things on that. Now we see what Joff meant when he told Sansa he would deal with the traitors in reference yes. to the three whores in her chapter two chapters ago. But yes, I mean Joff has the expected priorities for Joff's character. Inflict pain and punishment on the helpless people first, winning the war second. He would Tyrion was planning on shifting those uh, trebuchets and continuing to fire boulders at the ships, and Joff's like, but wait, no, no, time out. I need to do my little side project first. Yeah. And it kind of echoes the mad king killing the Starks a little bit. It's just like, yeah,
1: yeah, it does a little.
0: Only that uh, Ares was obsessed with fire, and Joff's murderous desires seem rather indiscriminate in their method. As, l- as <laughs> yes. long as there's punishment being, a punishment and pain being inflicted, he's, uh, <laughs> he's fine with it. It, it, it probably Now he's didn't... seen
1: what wildfire can do, though. Maybe he's gonna join Aerys in his obsession. <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: That's a concern, isn't it? <laughs> Tyrion wanted to keep Joff as far away from the wildfire as possible when Haylene said, we'll come show him what we can do, and he was like, no,
1: how about not? <laughs>
0: Now he's just gone and shown (laughs) him.
1: The only thing I want that kid to do with wildfire is drink it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But does Cersei really think that it's a good idea to indulge in this sadistic desire of his? I mean...
1: Well, the the alternative, of course, is to uh, repress that uh, sadistic desire. And I'm not sure that's a good idea either. So she may be just taking the lesser of two evils. I
0: guess. You know what about teaching him, showing him oh, lordly restraint when dealing with those sentenced to death? Not use them as a spectacle for enjoyment and amusement. <laughs> it's it's because of um, it's because of Joff and Cersei that I continually find myself rooting against Tyrion here in this battle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, of course, I mean, I mean. Look, we're all fond of Tyrion, but you know, he's fighting for the side of wrong here. Joffrey right. has no place on that throne. Right. Neither neither by hereditary nor by sort of like just morals, he shouldn't be on the throne. True. Stannis yes. <laughs> may not be the greatest king of all time, but he has got a legitimate claim. Right. And he would rule with something closer to a level head.
0: Right. And it doesn't help that this Tyrion chapter is flanked by a Sansa and a Davos chapter, two characters that you can much more easily sympathize with and root for. <laughs> yeah. They're not fighting for uh, two pretty uh, awful people. So I, earlier in the week, I, I asked you about a scientific question uh, regarding a, a debate that's going on here in uh, in this chapter But the gold cloaks are debating whether these antlermen might fly all the way across the river because they're lighter than the boulders. And I wondered if they are scientifically true. And since you're the PhD scientist and I am the lowly former sports writer, Uh (laughs) it seemed Uh to make a lot more sense to have you discuss it than me.
1: Well, honestly, I I haven't – I mean – Look, I'm a scientist. The way I would find this out is with experiment. I would get a couple of antler men, nail <laughs> antlers to their head, strip them <laughs> naked, fire them from a trebuchet, and find out. But <laughs> in the absence of the experiment, I'm forced to sort of like come up with a hypothesis. So so you were talking about Newton's second you you went all Newton's second law of motion on me, and you were I did, you know yes. force forces mass times acceleration. But so so they are lighter than the boulders. So the trebuchet is going to fire them with the same force it fires the boulders but because they're lighter they're going to have more acceleration. Right. Right? That's that's the upshot of that. But it is a it's a single impulse force. It's not a for, it's not like they've got a jet engine strapped to them that's going with them. Right. It's a one-time force that's going to give them that acceleration and from that point on they're going to slow down. They're going to they're going to slow down. And I think that a rock is pretty aerodynamic. It's not pointed, but it's not... Well, it doesn't have arms and legs flailing in the air. And antlers, yeah? And I think all of those limbs might create more air resistance for the antler men. So I think that even though they set off, even though they've accelerated faster, and so their velocity at release from the trebuchet would be slightly higher... I actually think it would be fairly close where the two land. Yeah? But I don't know. Yeah.
0: I just always, it always feels like when you, when I throw something, like if I throw um, a youth baseball, which is lighter than a regular baseball versus (laughs) a baseball, true baseball, that because it's heavier, I can throw it further. And I, I just assume that's due to uh wind resistance it it can hold up to wind resistance better than the lighter object so that's why i was wondering if it might they might not fly as far as the boulders we'll be right back this episode is sponsored by audible to get a free audiobook or two if you're an amazon prime member go to our exclusive url audibletrial.com/ghostsherenhall you can find the link in our show notes.
1: Yeah. Uh, but but they would... I And I guess the same kind of applies... Assuming that you throw those two things with the same force, you should actually be accelerating the lighter object slightly quicker, slightly more. So you right. might be able to get more initial velocity on that. So that does go to the... They might be slowing down. They might slow down because of air resistance more... Because they're floppy and right now, if they coil up in a ball, you should ask one of them to coil up in a ball and see how far he goes. <laughs>
0: Let's test this.
1: <laughs> yeah. you're gonna land in the wildfire unless you get really tucked.
0: <laughs> Grandmaster Grim Grimmeister should get out there and uh, do some experimentation. Anyway, well, just wanted to uh, to think about whether that uh, whether who would win on that bet with the gold cloaks, yeah. whether they fire further or fly further or not.
1: That's a that's a debate for the Discord server, I guess. I guess. So Joffrey runs off excitedly to enjoy his afternoon of antler tossing, uh, and a runner comes to Tyrion with news that um, that troops have landed on the uh, Tawny field south of the city.
0: Right. Yes, and that leads me to a question for you, as I have in oh, here. Question God. for Simon.
1: It's a so question here's for Simon, question. but I don't know what it is. Yeah.
0: Do you think if Joff had stayed another few minutes? and heard the news that there were enemies at the gate, would he have wanted to lead the men against the invading army? Or, if it it came down to it, would the reality of his limitations enter his mind and he'd make an excuse of why he couldn't? Is he fully deluded, or is he only bluffing
1: that he is what he pretends to be? It's a fine question. I'm going to think that he's somewhere in between those two, that he would, on some levels, he's a teenage boy. He wants to be in the battle, you know, I get that. But he is also a cowardly uh, slime ball. And <laughs> when it came to it, I think he would probably lean on the fact that Tyrion would tell him, I don't want you anywhere near this battle. So I think maybe he would have insisted on going down to the King's Gate, but they might have positioned him up on the walls while the battle went down went went on beneath him, and maybe he could watch it and sort of like maybe direct people, and maybe that would and and literally that might have actually inspired the people because remember when they get there, the the soldiers are weary and scared and don't want to fight, and having the king come might have actually helped. They don't know him. They don't know him like we know him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's possible.
0: Yeah, I was thinking back to Sansa saying, my brother always goes where the fighting is heaviest, but then he's a man grown, unlike your grace. I wonder if that would have stuck in his head and been like, I got to go prove that I'm tougher than uh, Rob. But ultimately, I think that he would not have actually gone out there. I I think he probably would have. Oh, my uncle says I can't.
1: Well, I mean, think, Tyrion really doesn't want Joffrey to get hurt here. So he probably would have kept him from the actual fighting. Um, But, you know, he could have had a bow and arrow on the walls and sort of like fired at them as they tried to bash down the doors. That's relatively safe. As long as he keeps the visor down. Right, as long as he keeps his visor down. (laughs) yeah. So the Hound hound and his men are inside the the gate. Um, The Hound refuses to go back into the fight, despite the fact the door is being rammed. Uh, Tyrion can see how scared the the hound is. He, he's dead on his feet, is how he describes him, um, and he intuits that it's the fire. You know, like like you said, the Fury has been dropping fire on the beach where he's been fighting. It must have been pretty scary to someone who's afraid of fire. Yeah, or any or anyone, frankly.
0: Right. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but especially someone who's afraid of fire. Yes, but he he actually says, "I'm not taking more." He means his men, into that fire. He doesn't say that fight or that battle. He says, I'm not taking any more into that fire. So he he it kind of shows what he's thinking, what like what the yeah. primary issue is. It's not so much the men, it's or the the death, it's the fire that's uh that he's primarily concerned about he does make a solid point about the futility of getting more men killed as those men become further outnumbered as more troops make it across right. so right there's that yeah i
1: mean you've got a city with, with with big walls that's where you defend you don't have to go riding out there and sorties that get yourself killed you can fight from the walls You know, right yes
0: <laughs> now here's a question what if joff had gone down there gone, you know he hadn't left he heard the news he went down to the gate and he commanded the hound to go out
1: i i will raise you a different theoretical the hound sees the king arrive and says hey i'm a king's guard i'm going to stay and protect the king <laughs> right. you lot go out you
0: there. lot go do it <laughs>
1: yeah. so it's it is interesting that Tyrion was aware of uh, has you know become increasingly aware of Clegane's fear of fire and then Put him in the vanguard of a of a battle that was inevitably going to involve an awful lot of fire.
0: Right. Yeah. So uh,
1: maybe I don't know. Maybe we should have chosen a different person for this. Or yeah. You know, maybe... Well,
0: yeah. I I think ideally yes. Ideally yes. But pickings seem to be kind of slim on the Kingsguard right now, which is a shame because they're supposed to be some of the best knights and men in the realm. But yet he finds himself with a lack of options for leadership here, and then you know what does that come down to? Poor choices for the Kingsguard, where maybe some of them chosen for their lackey qualities, like their who their allegiance is to, like the Kettleblacks being in Cersei's pocket. More so than valor and fighting skill and the willingness to yeah. die for the king. But you know what?
1: Again, Jamie Lannister's to blame for this. You know, There was a time when you would choose the king's god for the valor and fighting skills, but now you want them to be lackeys because you can see what happened when they're not lackeys. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: When okay. they have a mind of their own, <laughs> it can go horribly <laughs> wrong. Uh,
0: he's missing some, some of the, the top... King's guard Jamie would be the obvious choice to lead these men but Jamie is stuck in a prison cell in Riverrun Ares Oakheart, another solid seemingly trustworthy member of the King's guard but he was chosen to protect Marcella. and uh, so and uh, of course Berseon Selmy was sacked so yep. Betty wishes he had him right about now
1: and and for all we know, we still haven't found him yet. He could be on the other side of the river, ready to come fighting for Stannis. He
0: could be true. We don't know
1: where but, he went. But, but last time, Stannis was looking for him and had not found him. Last time we saw, right?
0: Renly was. Renly. Oh, Renly maybe, was hoping uh, to get. Uh, he went. Uh, yeah, he was yeah, with yeah. Rob and Catelyn was like, uh, uh, "Nope, I haven't seen yeah. him." But Tyrion rejects. So he there is another member of the Kingsguard there with them. Sir Mandon Moore is there, but Tyrion thinks men won't follow him. And he remembers that Jamie telling Tyrion that Sir Mandon is a dangerous man, but that he thinks, yeah, Tyrion thinks, yeah, he's dangerous, but not a man that others will follow. And we got that dangerous man thing from the very first Tyrion chapter of, of this book when Sir Mandon wouldn't let Tyrion and Braun and the other men that were with him into the small council chamber. And Tyrion noted his pale gray... Uh, eyes and oddly flat and lifeless uh, face and uh, he remembered Jamie saying that about he's a dangerous man because his face doesn't give away his intentions that's what makes him dangerous
1: yeah Um, yeah but I can see why it might not make him a great leader although you know if you've got the sort of cold dead eyes of a shark people might do what you tell them
0: right yeah he won't show fear like the Hound is doing here. So there's that.
1: Um, One thing I'll say about this sort of battle that's about to ensue, uh, King's Landing is very big and it's hard to protect all the corners of it. I would have thought that the King's Gate would have been pretty heavily fortified. It's surely possible that Stannis could have moved some troops upstream and found a way across the river over the last couple of days. He's had time, yeah? And if so, the nearest point of ingress from that crossing would be the King's Gate. So I would have thought that they would have specifically you know, had that one uh, fortified.
0: Right. Uh, right, I agree. It makes perfect sense, especially since uh, they know that they've trapped them all into the Blackwater Rush. You can move any of those people that were on the, you know, the northern, or at least a good portion of them that were guarding other gates on the north side or the east side to the the side that actually has people at right. the
1: gates. The, right, exactly, yeah, yeah.
0: But but then, of course, rather than rushing out to fight them in a sorte, wouldn't dumping boiling oil and shooting arrows from the safety of the wall be the better option?
1: Yeah, I, I think there was a reason to try and stop the boats from landing and disgorging their soldiers. There was a reason to try and stop that. But once they've crossed the river, get behind the walls and use the walls as your protection. I mean, that's the reason you have, a city, you have those city walls.
0: Maybe they took their battle strategy, maybe they, they learned their battle strategy from Lord Commander Mormont at uh, Castle Black. That Let's go on the other side of our walls and do <laughs> the fighting there.
1: <laughs> All right, um, do you have some background for us?
0: I do have a bit of background. So last Tyrion chapter, we learned about Tyland Lannister. He was the first Lannister Hand of the King, and he became Hand of the King for Aegon III. Despite su- siding with Aegon the Younger's uncle, Aegon the Second, in a dance with the dragon, advocating for the Younger's death, and being tortured and mutilated by Aegon the Third's mother, Queen Rhaenyra, who also happened to be a woman that Thailand had once hoped to marry, I'll add. Okay. But furthermore, we learned that he managed to serve the king loyally, claiming that he couldn't remember who was on the blacks or the green side of the dispute. I
1: remember this. So now... I, let's... Remem- I remember him not remembering. Right.
0: <laughs> so now let's see how he handled some of his Hand of the King duties, and we'll even tie it a little bit into this battle right here in this chapter. So his first mission was to get trade back up and running in the Seven Kingdoms, as the war had taken its toll on it. Step one toward that goal was to abolish the taxes that Queen Rhaenyra Targaryen and Lord Bartimore Seltigar had enacted. Next, he offered loans to those who wanted to rebuild holdings that had been destroyed during the war. Now, here's something specifically germane to this chapter. Thailand ordered that the gates of King Le- King's Landing be strengthened so that they could better withstand d- attacks. So how about
1: that? Thank goodness, great-uncle Thailand.
0: Uh, he was thinking Save ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Way ahead. <laughs> and he he planned to fund the construction of 50 new warships, although only about 10 were ever actually commissioned. But as Thailand died in year 133 AC, about 166 years ago from this battle, it's high, I highly doubt that any of those ships were lost in, in this particular uh, fight here.
1: They so, might have been the ones with the uh, wildfire on them, right? Yeah, point. the rotted out
0: old Hulk. They said they yes. were leaky old. Yeah. <laughs> so Tyrion can thank old Uncle Tyland that the gate hasn't yet succumbed to the battering ram.
1: Well, that's, now, that's a great tie Well done. Well done. I don't
0: actually know if he's his uncle. The the time yeah. the uh, tree doesn't you know extend that far, but uncle we'll in the general sense, right?
1: <laughs> Alright, right, comparison with the television show. Most of this gets dropped. Uh, Stannis is on board a ship. The the whole being on the wrong side of the river is dropped from the TV show. He comes by. The whole whole of the invading force comes by ship. There are no ground forces. He is lucky to avoid the wildfire and then lands the remainder of his men below the walls. The battle then becomes pretty hand-to-hand. And the only nod to any of this content really is that Tyrion sends Pod to the King's Gate to bring anyone there... To defend the walls here, wherever here is, you know, the right. point where they are. Um, TV show pedantry, just as a matter of interest here, as the rowboats row ashore from the big ships, uh-huh. okay, and Tyr- and Stannis' men are, are jumping onto the shore, um, the Lannister forces are firing flaming arrows at them. But I don't understand that. The flaming does nothing. Because... The, the arrows hit you, and then that's what stops you. It doesn't matter if right. the things on fire. You've right. just got an arrow in your chest, yeah? Um, there's no rigging in these things. They're just rowboats, yes? Yeah? So you can't set anything on fire, really. I mean, if you see a couple hit the rowboat, and it just sort of sputters out, you know, there's nothing
0: yeah. to Or burn, you could yeah. sc- reach over and scoop up some water. and.
1: Right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. The one thing it does is it makes the arrows a lot more visible, which is visually very exciting, but... If you're being shot at by arrows, it'd be handy to be able to see them coming. Because you sure might would. be able to dodge them. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think they should have done that. Okay. But it uh, does
0: make it more visually appealing. It
1: does. It was definitely visually interesting, yeah. Um, the antler men are dropped, uh, but not in the way that Joffrey intends. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> to give him a chance to be awful, when the boats explode, everyone looks absolutely mortified about what's going on out there. Like, Tyrion, the Hound, they're all like, oh my god, what have we done? What have thing? we done? <laughs> one notable exception. Sansa? With green light bathing his face, <laughs> King Geoffrey Baratheon, first of his name, is delighted <laughs> oh. by what he's what seeing. Yeah, he's, oh, he's a horror. Uh, the hound has not yet been out of battle, but he's wide-eyed from all these fires. And when the archers are setting up to fire these unnecessarily flaming arrows, he stops and threatens the head archer with foul death should any of those flaming arrows come anywhere near him. Because he's going out to fight. <laughs> he's going to sortie out to meet Stannis' forces before the walls. And he, on the way, he throws a helm at the way-faced Lancel Lannister, so oh, he might that, be getting into the fire. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's someone who's been missing to uh, this point and uh, he's a Sir Lancel these yes, days, so he yes. should be... Yes, he looked
1: thrilled to be given that opportunity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alright, pedantry corner. Um, I have a handful of things from the start of this chapter um, as Tyrion watches the wildfire. So it says that he's on one knee atop a Merlin. But that to me is weird. So so on a corrugated... uh uh, Crenellation, defended wall. Crenellation, exactly. The the uppy bits are merlins, and the gaps between are embrasures. Is that right? Embrasures, yes. Or
0: crannels, I but, think. Also.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go with embrasure if you don't mind. Go like for it. One. Okay. So he's on the merlin, but it's dangerous to be up on top of that merlin. There's a lot sure. of wind and a lot of fire and all kinds of things going on. You're really exposed up there. Yeah. In the embrasure, your view is a couple of feet less, but You've got a Merlin on either side of you to balance against right, okay, so I think it's really silly, I think that's really <laughs> wrong but but then the book does try to explain it because it says there there isn't just a little bit later. it says even from atop the Merlin, he'd been too short to see over the ramparts. okay, that makes sense, so it was if he'd been in the embrasure, he would have been too low. he had to go as high as he could to see over the ramparts, okay, then what the hell are the ramparts? What is a rampart? <laughs> so then I got looking. <laughs> I really went down a rabbit hole with this. I was like, "What is a rampart if not the walls of a castle? It's the walls of the castle." So there's nothing. I mean, what would be the point of having crenelated walls if you then had something blocking your view? In front of the them. whole <laughs> point of them is so you can see the enemy and shoot arrows down at them, right? <laughs> so I got. I was really baffled by this. Yeah. So. Something is blocking his view, but I just don't get it. If you're on the walls of the castle, overlooking the harbor, the embrasure will be high enough to see that wildfire. You don't need to go standing on top of a box on top of the Merlin. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> that seems just like being incredibly risky there. <laughs> right,
1: right. <laughs> like sort of Chinese acrobat, sort of balancing <laughs> on top of this thing just to get a slightly better view. Okay. And then the other one was that the wind beat at his bare face. But I was really thinking about, the, you were talking about the wind direction before. I'm not sure the wind would be coming from behind him. Because I think you've got this huge conflagration going up in front of you. Yeah? Right. That would be sucking all the oxygen into it. So the wind would be coming from behind you.
0: Not into your face.
1: Not into your face. It is consistent. I will say it's consistent with the wind direction that was mentioned in the previous chapter. The wind right. would have been coming from the south and so hitting it in the face. But I think with that big of a fire in front of you, that would reverse the wind and you'd feel the wind coming from behind. Your ears would be flapping with all the oxygen flying forward into the fire.
0: Uh, see, there's that
1: scientist. Yeah. We? I, I had another one, but you, thankfully you got me to drop it when because I was wrong. <laughs> well. there's there's just there's just a very confusing part in in the latter part of the chapter where it sounds like Tyrion says come on let's open the gates and go fight them and it turns out it was the hound who said it
0: and <laughs> um, he didn't but... want to go outside the walls so he just said let's <laughs> open the gates and we'll kill them all in here right yes
1: uh but it wasn't so so that was that was silly i'll, I'll i won't say that one all right news and notes w- did you do something funny
0: News and <laughs> I did. Uh, so, um, did everyone enjoy last week's uh, Monday episode drop? Well, Monday for Eastern Standard Time U.S. Anyway, um, that was uh, technically an accident. I accidentally published it <laughs> on Monday instead of Tuesday, but it's <laughs> it's a really good time to roll out uh, a little. Taste of what we're uh, planning to offer our new monthly sustainers. Go on. So we are... are, For everyone who uh, sustains at a minimum $5 a month level, you'll receive our weekly episode drop at the old time, Monday Eastern Standard Time at midnight. That will uh, be through a a buy-me-a-coffee email with a link to the episode in it. So
1: Are the sustainers getting the unedited version? Oh, it's edited. Okay. <laughs> I seem to remember we moved it to give ourselves more time to edit it. Yes. <laughs> well, no, that's great. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I think I, I, I like the fact that you uh, you gave everyone a free teaser of it by mistake. That was clever.
0: <laughs> I don't know how. I guess it's just old habits. I scheduled it for Monday at mid. It's the midnight thing because. I, you know, yeah, I gotta yeah, remember, yeah. it's Tuesday you, every, midnight.
1: Every time you say Monday midnight, I'm like, I don't know what day he's talking about, yeah. 50-50 <laughs> chance, I get that right. Apparently, I don't either. Yeah. So, um, yes, we discovered on the Discord server that Sustainer Genevieve did indeed complete her PhD. So, sorry, Sustainer Dr. Genevieve. All right, round of PhD. applause. Congratulations. Yeah, yes.
0: Uh, and so just today... George Martin updated his blog with an incredibly long post. I'm not going to try and summarize all of it. I would suggest I retweeted it. Go follow our um, Twitter page and you can uh, find it there. Uh, I'm just going to give you the very short summary of what it said. Here's the good news. There's a lot of new shows in various stages of progress. So, yay. Good news. Yay. Yay. Here's that the that doesn't news. sound
1: like a that doesn't sound like a book you just <laughs> No, it does.
0: Uh he said that his work on The Winds of Winter uh in 2020 was more than it was in 2021 because of too many other projects. And he actually seemed a bit irked that uh he gets asked so often about The Winds of Winter. So I get it from his perspective, he probably gets tired of hearing about it. But also from our perspective, we have been
1: waiting more than a decade. So, you know. Okay, Michele, I'll I'll let you decide whether or not we edit what I'm about to say out just in case we ever get George Martin on here for an interview. But he gets a bit irked. He? (laughs) Give me strength. He's created something that everybody wants and we want him to create more of it. Right. And we ask him about it all the time. Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? That's the price you pay. Yes. You know what? You know what? I've got this brilliant solution for you. If you don't want to get nagged about publishing that book, publish the bloody book. (laughs) (laughs) We'll stop. We'll be too busy reading.
0: Right. Yes. I mean... it's basically flattering him. you know, we're, Exactly. We're, we love the work that he's done. We would like right. to see the next we installment. We want more of it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, But here's some of the things that he's working on aside from the Winds of Winter that he mentions. He's working on uh, Fire and Blood, Volume 2, which he's considering calling Blood and Fire, so as to not call it Fire and Blood, Volume 2. He's working on a coffee table book, a who's who in westeros and he's working on completing the uh Duncan egg series a night of the seven kingdoms so those are the things that uh that he's got going on
1: that aren't all right writing a well, winds well, of winter yay for george okay um so three body problem right. do you know about this do you know what I'm talking about? I
0: mentioned I meant to tell you about this ages ago and then I completely forgot. But go ahead, tell everyone.
1: So we've talked about the three-body problem before on on the part. We've, right, we've yeah. said that it's a book that we both really enjoy. Yeah. It's being made into a television series. It's being made into multiple television series, but the one that I'm particularly interested in is the one that's coming to Netflix, which is going to be created by Benny Offen Weiss, the right. creators of Game of Thrones. Yes. Wow My head explodes. I and cannot, the good yeah. news
0: is it's already been finished, so we don't have to worry about them writing an ending to the story. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's got a couple of um it's got a couple of Game of Thrones alums in it. It's got um I'm not gonna remember the actors' names here, but Cunningham Liam Cunningham. Oh yes. Awesome. He's gonna be in it. And also um Sam Tarley. I don't remember his name. Liam Cunningham is Davos, right? Liam Cunningham is, is Davos, but I don't know Sam Talley's real name. But so, Sam, Shoe Queen,
0: our, our uh, Shoe Queen will yeah. be very excited about that. Exactly. She, uh, loves she, she's got him. That's right. <laughs> she might get an extra role. <laughs> well, we got lots of news today, don't we?
1: Yeah. It was a busy news week. Can I tell you, the next one you're going to read out is not funny in the slightest, but there's a slightly funny thing about it. I was just reading ahead just then to sort of see what was coming up next, and I was like, oh, I meant to tell McKelly about this. I was like, where did I read this? And I was like, oh, it was in these notes. McKelly put it in there. (laughs) So so I read it and was going to tell you what I'd learned from what you wrote.
0: (laughs) Well, well, that is funny, but the sad news behind it is that John Stahl, the Scottish actor who played Rickard Carstark, on a Game of Thrones died on March 2nd at the age of 68. Stahl was an accomplished actor who might be best known for his role as, do you know that role? Do you know how to say that? In In the dark. In In the dark. (laughs) What Simon said in the soap opera, take the high road. But during his career, he'd also acted at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Company, Royal Shakespeare Company and the Scottish National Theatre. So rest in peace, Mr. Stahl. Now your watch has ended.
1: Yes, he, he was memorable in Game of Thrones as well. He was, he was really good. Um, so we got a message from Grace, um, who became a buy me a, sustain, buy me a Coffee Sustainer. That's right. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for all you do. Without you, I would never be able to reread these giant books.
0: Yes. Well, thank you, Grace. And I also, I wanted to add that um, Shoe Queen also became a sustainer and um, she's also a beloved Discord member. And uh, she said, love you guys. I wanted to put well, that
1: in there as well. Phew, now I'm blushing. All right. We should wrap this up. Okay. Yes. Uh, so Davos's chapter seemed to spell disaster for Stannis, but Tyrion's got a better vantage point from on top of the Merlin. Um <laughs> And he can see that the wildfire has done a lot, but perhaps not enough.
0: Right. Yes, it does. Like I said earlier, it doesn't seem nearly as dire as it did at the end of last chapter. Yeah. Not good, but it still seems like there's a a path for victory for Stannis.
1: If Stannis can get even most of the twenty thousand knights, light horses, and free riders—that's the expected number—across, that will see you know some unseasoned part of the gold cloaks involved in battle and jaslyn bywater confidently predicted that they would break
0: we there's precedent in this book we've seen it a lot with sellswords most recently when the brave companions made the deal with ruse bolton to right uh, right give up Hall
1: you know what i think if if the boats come across in numbers i think Tyrion might want to just retreat to the red keep there and then just lay down arms because what's the point you know if you stay out there fighting, you might suddenly be surrounded by your own men who suddenly switch sides. You know. Ah, uh-huh. good point. Yes. Whereas retreating and keeping the people you actually trust close to you might be the right thing to do. Right. Uh, but Tyrion is off riding into battle. He's not ideally suited for it, but he did. No. He did shame uh, the Hound's companions, not the Hound himself, but the Hound's companions into uh, at least backing him up. It seems so. Yeah, and. It-
0: we don't know what he's facing when he rides out there. But the messenger that came and delivered the news to him that there were men at the gate said that there were hundreds of men that had landed at the uh, tourney grounds. So Tyrion could roll out there with his little posse and face like 300 men at the gate. And that would right. be right. really bad. But then uh what's going on with the hound here? Is he... Yeah resting is it just because he's you know he's wounded he's got a gash over his eye or is he uh out of here
1: yeah you could imagine giving a man 10 minutes to gather his thoughts after a wound and a scary battle but you're gonna want him back in the teeth of it soon enough and he doesn't seem like he wants to get back into this so is he actually going to desert at this point and what will be the punishment for joffrey's favorite
0: oh good point because Joffrey loves to dole out
1: punishment, so oh, that's oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, but if, who would he have dole out the punishment to the Hound? Who would want to do that? <laughs> right, Gregor,
0: if he can, uh, if he could get Gregor into town.
1: But uh, next week
0: we are off to another Sansa chapter.
1: Uh, so we're staying in King's Landing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes the fourth straight chapter here in King's Landing. We went yeah. Sansa, Davos, Tyrion. And now back to Sansa. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, Martin is really focused here on King's Landing. On
1: as I mentioned, the whole ninth episode of the second season was uh, this battle. Oh, um, without uh, yeah. nothing else, just this. Battle. Right. There's three ways that you can help us. You can give us a positive review. Nothing helps spread the word better than that, and we would appreciate it. You can buy us buy some merchandise at Ghosts of Or you can buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostharrenhall, where you can also become a sustainer for which we will be very grateful and for which you'll get your episode a day earlier.
0: That's right. And, of course, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. I would recommend you go out and follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall, especially if you want to read that long post that George Martin posted. I got it out there. You can follow us on Facebook instagram youtube and the ever popular discord thanks for listening thanks bye bye